0: in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit one god amen so today's reading uh is the commemorates the fifth sunday after the holy resurrection which the church celebrates uh, in the holy 50 days and as we've been talking about for the last few weeks the readings during this time it's a joyful time that we remember the resurrection of the dead and the anticipation of receiving the holy spirit so those are two feasts right you have the resurrection and then you have pentecost which is coming in a few weeks. But in between, there's a wonderful, uh, another wonderful piece called the Ascension, and uh, which we celebrate, by the way, this Thursday. So mark your calendars that um, this Thursday is the uh, Ascension. Um, many um, many of the readings during the Holy 50 days lead us to anticipate two of these uh, seven major feasts, but also the uh, Ascension as well as, as, well as the, uh, as as well as the pentecost so you know the the readings are kind of gearing and kind of grading creating this anticipation for us so today's reading is no different and its focus is on the anticipation of the ascension of our lord it starts with let not your heart be troubled the verses immediately prior to this um, speak about the betrayal of saint peter and how his courage would fail this discussion occurred uh, during covenant thursday you know the thursday before um, you know, he was uh, you know, crucified and uh, and then resurrected. So it must have been very troubling for the apostles, not just the Saint Peter, um, to hear that their leader, one of um, one of the most confident, one of the most bold, even he would stumble. Not once, but three times. And where trial awaited for them, even the world, um, you know, uh, even you know that when. If they if they saw that he was able to stumble, they probably thought to themselves, "Well, if Peter's going to stumble, what about me?" And they were probably very troubled in heart because of this. So the first thing he says uh, in the reading today is, "Not don't don't worry." You know, he gives them an assurance. He ascends to heaven and promises us many gifts and many um, wonderful things that benefit us, that benefit us greatly. So let's go through a few of these things. Firstly, uh, he promises us the gift of the Holy Spirit as he says in John chapter 16 nevertheless I tell you the truth it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away the helper will not come to you but if I depart I will send him to you and when he has come he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged so the Holy Spirit would come after he ascends. So that was a great benefit to us. The Holy Spirit, of course, leads us and guides us in our life to reach that ultimate goal and to walk through the narrow gate. He sanctified us. He reprimands us when we stumble. Uh, He comforts us when we fall and encourages us to get back up. He intercedes for us and consecrates and devotes us and works wonders in our midst. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So he, he promised the Holy Spirit to the disciples. It was as if he said, um, like St. Augustine says, I myself, Christ speaking, I myself was your comfort through my bodily presence, which of course we still have in the uh, liturgy, in the communion, in the Eucharist, right? But now, um, n- don't just depend on your human senses. I myself was your comfort when my bodily presence shone in your human senses senses and which as infants you were able to comprehend so he was able to come down to our senses but now he gave us something much more beneficial a a greater comfort a comfort that is inside of us because when the Holy Spirit comforts us it's much more stronger uh, assurance and comfort than relying just on our senses Uh, like if we were to see a miracle or something something far deeper than that is the Holy Spirit's work inside of us, inside of our hearts, because he infused himself in the hearts of the believers. That's why we call him in Greek, right? Which is called the comforter, the spirit of comfort or of truth or the helper. And there was a great, um, you know, when the apostles were to go and preach to the whole world, they would face much greater challenges than any of the prophets of old um, ever went through because the prophets of old, they went to certain pharaohs or kings or tyrants and spoke to them and tried to uh, manage a like a group of people these apostles went out into the whole world and uh faced challenges that are very difficult to comprehend and they did so with joy and enthusiasm but because there was a greater challenge so there was a greater consolation And they would need it as the apostles would endure all these manner of persecution and trials. So the Holy Spirit inside of them was working amazing things uh, and comforting them, strengthening them, giving them courage, speaking to them, and um, giving them all sorts of wonders to perform as well as they uh, walk through the world. So it's a lesson for us that in our trials, we don't look far for God, right? We look within us and we don't have to look far because he is inside of us who are baptized. So that's the first thing we benefit from the Ascension, is that when he ascends, he sends us the Holy Spirit. The second thing uh, we benefit from is that he became the high priest. So when he rose to heaven in the Ascension, he became high priest. And we can read about that in Hebrews um, chapter 9, where he says, among many other verses, which I won't read today, but this one I will. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, the one in heaven, not made with hands, that is, not of creation, not of the blood of goats or calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And also in the Old Testament, we see Zachariah prophesying about this. He says, behold the man whose name is the branch. He shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both." So he would become the high priest, ever interceding with the blood that he sacrificed for us 2,000 years ago. Uh, Because he doesn't die, he always intercedes for the creation. He is our great high priest. Just like um, the Old Testament, priests would go and they were shadows of what was to come in the fullness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, They would offer blood of animals for the uh, forgiveness of sins of the people. As a, and they would enter in once a year into the Holy of Holies. Here, Christ, in the fullness of this, uh, these uh, symbols and topologies, that he would enter in to the Holy of Holies, which is heaven, uh, that tra- tabernacle not made with hands, not with the blood of calves or goats or anything like that, but with his own precious blood, uh, able to save us, because we know that the blood of animals does not save uh, the blood of Christ, however, because united with his divinity does save. So the Old Testament law is a shadow of the things uh, to come, and we can just talk a little bit about that. We approach the Old Testament Christologically, right, or Christ-centered. When we read the Old Testament, we look for Christ in the Old Testament. He is the center of the Old Testament. The Old Testament points to, by either means of direct reference or allegories or symbols or topologies, they, they point to Christ. They point to Jesus Christ our Lord, His church, the calling of the Gentiles to Christianity, the sacraments, Christian spirituality, our whole Christian way of life, the Old Testament points to. And the Old Testament law accomplishes two main things. First, it defines what sin is and how it brings down those who practice it and fall short of the righteousness of God. The law shows the extreme gap between the righteousness of God and that of the human condition uh, without faith in Christ. Because if you don't have that, that's a huge gap. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, like St. Paul says. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls or goats could carry away sins. Of course, there were prophecies and symbols of something greater, which is why when the Israelites encountered God on Mount Sinai, he appeared to them as a consuming fire, consuming all um, where there is no fulfillment of the law. You know, if you can't fulfill the law, God appeared to them as a as a fire. And so the Israelites, as it were, saw God in a way because God appeared to them in the form of fire on the mountain. And we'll return to that in a little bit. But as the large gap between our sins and God's righteousness, there's God's love and there's Jesus Christ closing the gap uh, for us, of course. The law points to the need of Christ's work in our salvation that he would later accomplish for all of humanity uh, on the cross, of course, because he loves us. The Old Testament law both defines the problem of our sinful existence, but also points to the solution, the greatest, the greatness of the ultimate victory of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and in his resurrection. The ascension is part of this fulfillment of the law, um, as he is now our high priest eternally, uh, as he ascends. The third thing that we benefit from is that when Christ ascended, he received dominion, and that benefits us, of course, directly. In Daniel, in the Old Testament, it says, I was watching, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It's a direct prophecy to our Lord. So we have an ever-victorious Lord who has dominion over all creation and who makes intercession with us as our high priest, uh, giving us the Holy Spirit. Uh, whether he is in his kingdom and we now are looking towards that kingdom right because the fourth thing that he gives us is that he is preparing for us a home a place in heaven let not your heart be troubled after st. Peter and the apostles were troubled at at the thought of Peter stumbling three times he says to them let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me I go to prepare a place for you don't worry I have a place Reserved for you in heaven. In the previous verses, they received a hint of the great trials that they were about to face, and that Peter and the rest of the apostles and disciples would stumble, and that Christ would be crucified. They must have been really troubled at this. Uh, but here they're made, um, they're revived out of their trouble, right? They're made certain that they will dwell with Christ in the presence of God the Father after all the dangers, trials, and tribulations, that they would have a home in heaven. He further reassures them with the following verse. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And another place in Luke, uh, in the Gospel according to St. Luke, he says, do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That place, of course, where there are many mansions our new is our new and eternal home we each have a place in heaven prepared for us. We have to make sure that we keep it in front of us and we preserve it um, as we work towards it and keep all of our focus for it. If we do, then um, that we wouldn't get distracted from uh, the, you know, that home, that, that true home. We wouldn't get distracted with things of this life. Um, it would consume our thinking, it would consume our actions. And uh, as if you were homesick, right? You're homesick, all you could do is think about where you're going. We would fight for the spiritual warfare if we truly kept our home in front of us that home that we um that we belong to imagine you being home for a long way away from your family and um and your main focus would be to get back home to your family get back home to where you're loved and where uh the true security is right um you would not be distracted if, if somebody came along the way to distract you if you're really truly missing home you would not bother with anyone you would be focused on the goal of getting home and that's the attitude we should have in our spiritual life as well we would um, we have to uh, uh, you know we have in front of us for example the countless martyrs as examples remember the attitude of their families and the martyrs uh, back then and even now that they were willing to give up everything because they know that that is their true home So he says let not your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me In my father's house there are many mansions if it were not so i would have told you i go to prepare a place for you Uh, saint paul later says for your citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the savior the lord jesus christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself So we earnestly look uh, to the home to come, that that true home, being homesick as it were, And we always remember that we're sojourners here, we're visitors here on earth, and our true home is in heaven. Every Christian, if you're truly practicing your Christianity, um, we are to always focus on our home to come. Always remember and keep that in our memory that that is our true home at the end of the creed we always uh, which we recite of course in a spirit of prayer that we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come and we always remember god's kingdom too in the lord's prayer um, we always remember saying your kingdom come so we have many benefits that arise from the ascension which is summarized in verses 3 and 4 which we read today which says and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go, you know, and the way you also know. In response to this, two apostles, Saints Timothy, I'm sorry, St. Thomas and St. Philip respond with questions. St. Thomas knows that they don't know where he's going and how to get there. And St. Philip asked to see the Father, and if he saw the Father, he would be satisfied. They knew Christ, right, and earlier confessed that he is the son of God. So they had faith, but maybe needed to grow a little bit more in the faith. They needed to understand more about um, the divinity of Christ. The answer to both of their questions, of course, was right in front of them, that it was through the son that they reached the father, and that indeed the father was speaking to them through the son. So the answer was right in front of both of those questions. And Christ, um, that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, No one reaches the Father of all except through the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the only path and the only door, the only one whom the prophecies of the prophets prophesied about. Before him uh, were shadows, and after him there is no other. He is the one, he is the only one that we can access uh, the creator of the universe. That all that the Son speaks is from the Father because the Son is the word and wisdom of God the Father. And all of All that our Lord taught and all the miracles that he performed was to reveal the father and to reveal his unity with the father, which is why Christ says in today's gospel. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does the works. There is no different speaking or words, right? It's only the words of God. The father is the same words of God, the son. Um, When we contemplate on who Christ is, we fully and sufficiently as much as we're able to understand the father. What other way were we to know God the Father? Like when we return, for example, to how Moses uh, received the 10 commandments and how God in that time did appear to the Israelites in a a strange form, right? He appeared in fire um, on Mount Sinai. But fire doesn't truly reveal much about the Father, except that he's a consuming fire unless there's fulfillment of the law, which of course we have in Christ our Lord. But with Christ, we see a different and a more fuller picture of God the Father. He's not just this consuming fire, right? We saw that through his amazing teachings and Christ's miracles and his sacrifice and how he lived his life, we learn about who the Father is. From our Lord Jesus Christ, we learn that God is by nature good. And on top of that, we we know that he is the creator who calls all things, things that were non-existent into existence, like he, when he created the eyes of the man born blind, or when he, um, uh, you know, bless the five loaves and two fish to feed thousands of people. Uh, we know that He's the Creator and brings things into existence that were not in existence before. He is wisdom and power. He is kind and compassionate and merciful. We saw all this in the gentle dealings of Christ with those around Him, in His life-changing uh, sermons that He gave, and in the awe-inspiring miracles that He performed that no one on earth ever performed. So that if we reach the Son, then we automatically reach the Father. We reach the Father immediately um, through the Son. And the Son makes himself available to us, knocking at the door, inviting us to fellowship with him and to be one with the Father, just like he is one with the Father. Imagine Philip's feeling when he asked our Lord to see the Father and Christ responds saying, have I been with you so long, Philip, and yet you have not known me? And he calls him by name that intimacy have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? You have been with me, your creator, your God, who knows you through and through and have not known me, all that I have done in your presence? Do not worry, he says. From now on, you know him and have seen him. When he says from now on in today's reading, from this point forward, they would understand because this dialogue occurred, of course, on uh, during Holy Week in just a few days they would see the crucifixion the resurrection the holy 40 days where they stayed with him and walked with him they would see him ascend to heaven and then they would receive the pentecost in just a matter of days from this point on they would know the apostles would no longer ask these questions anymore uh where where are you going or show us the father they know they're no longer going to ask who is the greatest among them but they worked in unity with each other They no longer were to ask if God would restore a worldly kingdom for Israel. From this point forward, after these holy days that we're experiencing now, they would know in gratefulness and they would teach us even today. Um, and And better than just teaching us, they show us how to personally encounter God, the Father through the Son with the help of the Holy Spirit. But let's strive to be like Saint Philip, who though he didn't understand, he sought the father and he even said, if I saw the father, it would be enough. And I'm sure once he realized that he saw the father through the son, that he received great contentment for himself. So, but let's also learn from St. Philip too, that it is possible to to be in the presence of Christ and not to recognize him. It's possible to be in his presence and not recognize him. Um, You know, we recall the story of St. Beshoy, amazing story of how when the, the monks were going up the mountain, eager to see Christ, that the only one who saw him was the one who saw him, who had a spirit of love and of humility and was willing to help uh, another person. And then they were able to see Christ in in him. That's the amazing story of St. Pichot. I'll let you all look that up. Uh, But many of us also live inside the church for many years, all of our life. We have social circles in the church. We marry, we get busy with life. We come to church on occasion. But have never really encountered the depth that is being offered at the church right the depth of really encountering christ sometimes we live on the peripheral on the edge of the church right we go to church but we're not really in the church but we never really go deep to really encounter god instead sometimes we encounter just the the human side of things right which has some negative things too you know you might have encountered politics a little bit of backstabbing or partiality we encounter these things and then they come and they get hurt and so but if you really go in the center of the church where Christ is you find tranquility and peace and you know that God indeed is there present uh, willing and able to save us from every every uh, difficulty and and give us every joy so may God grant us this uh, vision to truly believe and encounter Christ especially on the altar so that we may deepen our relationship with God through the eternal intercession of Christ the High Priest who holds dominion dominion over all creation and who has promised us ever uh, great gifts and our heavenly and eternal home being the greatest, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.